Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 190 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Nick Kuzmich about Facebook ads. Episode 190 feels like it's really close to 200, which feels like a very important arbitrary number that we'll get to soon. It is very arbitrarily important, yes. Yeah. (laughs) And approaching rapidly. (laughs) It is pretty cool. I was recently reminded that somebody shared an old episode calling it like from the archives or, you know, dredging up this old post and it was like three years old. I can't believe we've been doing this for three years. It's pretty freaking cool. So yeah. I wonder how many we'll make it to. Yeah. I don't know. Will there be episode 1090 someday? I kind of hope not. Yeah. Like I hope things evolve by then. I don't know what that is. Stay tuned for a very long time and see. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by LawPay Ruby Receptionists, New Law Business Model, and Answer One. We wouldn't be able to make 190 episodes without their support. So stay tuned and we will tell you more about them later in the show. So a few weeks ago in episode 185, you and Jordan Furlong had a really great conversation about the future of practice and a variety of topics, yeah. but most important I think for today's banter is a portion of that conversation where the two of you made a really important distinction between small firm lawyers as legal technicians and small firm lawyers who adopt a business owner mindset. And that there are a lot of small firm lawyers, maybe even especially solos, who rather than really having built themselves a true business, have mostly just become self-employed legal technicians. And that isn't a judgment call about that choice, but it is an open question as to whether that is what they are trying to build and whether they are thinking about what they've built that way. At LabCon, Paul Wright reminded me that when we met at, I think, the first ClioCon, maybe, or maybe the second one, which is also when I was introduced to the aviation cocktail, which played a role in this, (laughs) we were just chatting about you know, innovation and legal tech and business. And he reminded me that I warned him that if he keeps following those things and building those into his firm, pretty soon he's not going to be practicing law in the sense that he's going to be guiding his firm and managing his firm and doing business, not day-to-day law practice. And it, it just comes down to roles and knowing your role. And this is something that we keep sort of running into within our community and within the profession. Yeah. And I think there's maybe an additional twist on it that's an important thing to start thinking about. And maybe you and I can keep pulling it apart over the next few episodes is in addition to this distinction between lawyers as legal technicians doing the work of being a lawyer versus lawyers who are business owners, I think even on the kind of owner manager side, there are two different hats that are really distinct from each other and important to understand. And one is something like in the kind of traction EO OS world, which is a business model we talk a lot about, there's this idea of visionaries and integrators, but you could also think about it as an integrator would be a COO type or a business operator, someone who manages a business, Yeah. yeah, as opposed to a visionary who is kind of your classic starry eyed entrepreneur who cares a lot about long term vision and new ideas and culture and long-term thinking and is often someone who is easily distracted with the hundred new ideas they have. And in this traction EOS mindset... We are, of course, talking about you and me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not in the ways everyone listening thinks we are. No, but yes. Yes. But in traction and EOS, there's this really important point that for the most part, visionary entrepreneurs are only going to have the results they want if they pair themselves with an integrator who can tie their feet to the ground and make sure all of these ideas are coherent and focused and that the details are worked out on them. And I think really often, especially at really small firms or in solo practices, the distinctions between lawyer technician integrator and visionary aren't well delineated and therefore 
a firm that's trying to do something really innovative, if the only person in the business is a visionary, is going to struggle a lot to also be its best on the integrator and technician side. And similarly, a solo or small practice that's overweighted towards legal technicians is going to struggle a lot to have any traction on growing a successful business. And that to some degree, whether these are different people or just a really self-aware person who and delineates they the they hats probably they probably need, I mean, it is one of the core tenets of this dichotomy that it is really, really rare to find both of these things in a single person. Right. Yeah. I happen to, like, I've taken the rocket fuel test <laughs> and I happen to be highly weighted on both, um, yeah. but I'm not a technician. So, like, I still couldn't check that box. But yeah, the idea is that for a firm to provide great service to clients and to have innovative ideas to propel it towards the future and to have the focus and clarity and systems and operations needed to actually execute on those visionary ideas requires some roles that a lot of firms are not thinking about in their firm. Yeah. Some of the ways this plays out is, you know, Patrick Palace recently tweeted something about how it seems like all the innovative lawyers are making their way in the world by selling products to other lawyers. Because as soon as you start doing innovative things that show any evidence of success, everybody else wants to learn how. And the problem with that is there will be no successful law firms if all the successful lawyers become people selling services to other lawyers. We will never solve access to justice if everyone gets distracted by shiny objects and stops building those great practices. If you are just a visionary, I mean, that's basically the textbook definition of a visionary is somebody who's like, ooh, shiny object, ooh, shiny object, and never does the follow through. I want to see more firms buckling down and following through and solving their problems and the market's problems. And it's frustrating to me that I think in some ways Patrick Ballas has a damn good point. Yeah. I mean, I think the huge opportunity in this industry is for more future-oriented, entrepreneurial, visionary lawyers to find a COO integrator right. type to propel their vision toward reality while focusing clearly on building their practice rather than chasing a bunch of side hustle ideas. Yeah. So focus, I guess, is the word of this podcast, which has almost nothing to do with, with the conversation we're about to have. Yeah. We're going to have a, oh, let me, let me briefly talk about, speaking <laughs> of Patrick Palace on Lawyer's Lens this week, he and I talk about the data-driven scientific approach to client intake that his firm engaged in with David Colarusso. David and Patrick are both former podcast guests and involved in lab or TBD law at some point. You'll find that on the front page of lawyerist.com and on our YouTube channel. It's really interesting, the, the scientific approach they took to client intake. And hey, while you're on YouTube, please help us out by subscribing to the show. It'll make it easy for you to find it and it'll help other people find it. And now I'm going to talk briefly with Walt Conrad from Answer One about client service. And then we'll jump into my conversation with Nick Kuzmich about Facebook ads. Hi, this is Walt Conrad, the VP of Sales and Marketing at Answer One. We're a 24-7 virtual receptionist service dedicated to creating great experiences on every call. Hey, Walt. Thanks for being with us today. So we're going to talk about what makes for a great client experience. So from your perspective, what goes into that? And I guess more importantly, what makes for a poor client experience? Yeah, I think client experience over the years has become a really big issue for businesses. I think companies like Amazon, Costco, Zappos and the like have created new expectations for us as customers. So every interaction we have with businesses, you know, our expectation is that every experience is going to be a good one, regardless of what the situation is. So in some cases where there's a great experience, it's, you know, you're getting good service, the phone calls answered, or you're getting email answered in a timely fashion. And in poor experience, you're waiting on hold, you're having to leave a voicemail for someone, or you just don't have that kind of high touch point that businesses that really focus on great experiences deliver. Can you help us put a value on what missing that target means? Like, what is the missed opportunity if you don't deliver a good client experience? Absolutely. I think the missed opportunity is that 80% of consumers are going to bail on a transaction based on that experience. So think about losing potentially 80% of your new business 
and you know you might be out of business in a short order. So the importance of delivering on that experience and delivering on that opportunity is huge. So a phone call, missing a phone call, that's a missed opportunity. Missing an email that comes in, that's a missed opportunity. Just being able to have that opportunity to interact with a potential client or a current client who could turn into a referral is huge. Because I guess what we're talking about is the, here the missed opportunity is people do expect a response when they pick up the phone and call you. And I suppose that's probably even more true today, where if somebody actually makes the effort to pick up the phone instead of just going to your website, then you really want to reward them by picking up the other end. Absolutely. Because if they're making the effort to pick up the phone and call you, they've done their research and they know they're ready to work with you or to buy from you. So that opportunity there is huge. And and the impact for attorneys from a cost perspective is based on average billable hours and, and time and average case costs, you know, missing five calls could cost you roughly $900. And when that adds up over time, you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball when it comes to, you know, new client acquisition and and really on the referral side of things, we know that on average attorneys receive 25% of their new cases from referral clients. So, you know, when you put those two things together, you know, if you can start to create better experiences and capitalize on those missed opportunities, you're really giving yourself a leg up and ultimately you're going to grow your business and be able to focus on other things inside of your business. Stating the obvious, but lawyers can't answer the phone every time it rings. So that's, I assume, where your company comes in. Absolutely. I mean, attorneys are busy and we know this and particularly those that are, are solo and small firm attorneys and you're doing everything inside of your firm. You're doing the accounting, you're doing the marketing but you still, you have to practice and, and you have to create billable hours. Uh, so something as easy as, as answering the phone can kind of become an afterthought. And that's really where Answer One fits in. And and we're a 24-7 virtual receptionist service that can really fit in where, where you need us. So if you need us just after hours, uh, we're able to accommodate there. If you need us, uh, you know, while you're going to court or just need us there all the time, we're there and, and able to deliver great experiences and great first impressions for current clients, for new clients. And we do that with, you know, just answering the phone and providing those experiences and scheduling appointments uh, when it's needed and, you know, delivering great experiences. And if listeners would like to know more about Answer One or about how to grow the firm with great client experiences, you can find a white paper at answerone.com slash winning with first impressions. Stick a hyphen in between each word there. You can also find the link in our show notes. Walt, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Nicholas Kuzmich, founder of the H2H Media Group, creator of the council and author of Give, and we help business owners bridge their gap between them and their ideal customers using Facebook ads. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm totally delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Maybe briefly you could tell us about Give and what's behind it, and that will launch us into what we're going to talk about today. And we'll make sure and mention the council before we end, because that sounds very mysterious and cool. So, <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, so in short, uh, there was a realization that it dawned on me. I mean, we were lucky enough to kind of get into the Facebook advertising game really early and master the platform. And one thing that we realized was that the majority of people we had conversations with uh, we're doing it incorrectly. And when I say incorrectly, what I mean, not only incorrectly, but like not profitably. Mm -hmm. And so I, I decided I had to just take a step back and say, well, what is going on here and why is it happening? And, you know, taking seven plus years on the platform uh, of experience, uh, having some of the highest return on investments in the industry and being able to make this platform work, I decided let's take a step back. Let's dump everything we know to be true about advertising on this very unique social platform that we can offer to business owners so that anybody, no matter if you're a professional service person like a lawyer or you have an e-commerce store or an information business, it doesn't really matter. How can you use Facebook as one of the most viable platforms to advertise your business and get new clients and customers? And so that's really the premise behind the concept of Give. Nice. And we'll obviously throw a link to the book in our show notes. Um, I think we actually just bought a bunch of copies of the book for the people who pre-registered for LabCon next year, which is our conference. And so hopefully we're going to tee them up on it. Awesome. So I want to talk about why Facebook first and, and maybe from a big picture view of what do you, what are we trying to do there? Because I hear lawyers ask a lot, does Facebook work? <laughs> I'm going to assume your answer is yes. Um, I, I know the answer is yes. But right. but why? What what are we even trying to do there? And what is it about Facebook that makes it a good platform for advertising? Yeah. So, I mean, how how I address that is, is I call it the paradox of size. Facebook is one of the most interesting platforms because of 
of that. It's a weird dichotomy. Uh, on the one hand, Facebook is huge. And when I say huge, we're talking about approximately three billion, with a B, uh, active monthly users. I mean, there was an old saying that said if Facebook was a country, right. um, it would be the second, if not the first largest country by population in the world. Uh, in short, what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter what type of business you have. Your ideal prospect is most likely on the platform in some way, shape, or form. Now, they might not be on there looking to conduct business per se, but they are on there. And if you know how to reach them properly, you can get your message in front of them. So the question on the one hand, again, and on that note for that matter, you know, the, the pinnacle of all advertising for the longest time was, can you get a 30-second spot on the one major sports, you know, publication a year, which is the Super Bowl? If you can get a 30-second commercial time slot, people would pay in upwards of millions and millions of dollars for a 30-second slot there. Why? Primarily because of exposure, right? Everyone mm -hmm. wants the eyeballs for it. Now, I always tend to say, and I, I ask people all the time, hey, if I could get you, and let's, I don't even know what the numbers are there, but let's call it a, a hundred million viewers. I ask people all the time, hey, if I can get your message or your image or your words in front of a hundred million people, but I could do that for, let's say $25,000 instead of $3 million, how many people would take me up on the offer? Uh, most hands would go up and I said, well, you're still out of your mind because I don't think exposure is the name of the game anymore. But if it was, Facebook would still be the perfect kind of platform for that sheerly because of its size. But here's the other side of it, the paradox of size. Not only is Facebook the largest platform of intelligent users that you can get your message in front of. But on the other side, it's so small. And what I mean by that is Facebook on the surface is a social media platform, but it, behind the scenes, it's one of the largest data aggregators in the world. The joke we have here at our office is that Facebook knows us better than we know ourselves, right? How do I know? Because when I woke up this morning, I opened up my phone and Facebook reminded me of what I had for breakfast four years ago, <laughs> right? I forgot what I had for breakfast four years ago. And apparently I took must a have picture been an, of that. Yeah, it must have been <laughs> worth taking a picture of. <laughs> or, or that was just the thing four years ago to take a picture of food. I remember that was a big thing back then. Um, but here's the amazing thing. Because it's the largest data aggregator in the world, it knows us better than we know ourselves. And for the intelligent advertiser, it allows us to get very, very micro and specific about the people we want to show our message to. So if I wanted to say, let's say, show my message in front of a woman between the ages of 29 and 34 uh, who reads romance novels, shops at Whole Foods, and spent $1,000 on her Amex last week, I could. Now, I don't know why I would, but I could. And that's the power of the platform. So it's the dichotomy of size. And I believe that we are moving away from what was traditionally known as mass marketing. And we are moving into, if we already haven't moved there, into this era of micro marketing, having the ability to put the perfect message in front of the perfect person at the perfect time. And that's really what makes this platform so powerful for the everyday business owner. It literally levels the playing field and allows people without multi-million dollar advertising budgets to advertise like they were, you know, a mega company to be able to reach people, you know, at will essentially. I think that's, you've, you've touched on a really key concept because I see lawyers approaching Facebook sometimes as if it's a highway billboard and highway billboards right. really only work for like personal injury lawyers who really can just blast their message out to everyone. They, they don't work for the typical, you know, transactional lawyer or, or even a lawyer, you know, just you don't see people advertising small business on billboards. Right. But with Facebook, you can actually just say who you want. For example, I've noticed that some of my friends have gotten divorced recently, and I've noticed that being about to get divorced is a trigger for people all of a sudden becoming more active on Facebook, <laughs> sure. um, especially for men in particular. And it sure. seems to me like you could probably figure out a way to use Facebook's algorithm to target men who have recently gotten active on Facebook. Yes, and uh, you could, I mean, uh, get as simple as, as someone who's changed their relationship status from, mm -hmm. you know, married to it's complicated or uh, single <laughs> or something like that. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that, uh, you know, something's yep. happening in the relationship for sure. So, okay, so what is, maybe you could tell us, what's the big picture strategy? Like how, how do you think about advertising on Facebook, not billboards I've established, but, and how is it different from other ad platforms, even other social media platforms? Yeah. I 
I, I love the question, and I want to kind of bring it up um, with a story, if I can. It's a Maple Leaf store, yeah. but I, I, it helps kind of like prove the point here. Uh, and I want to imagine that you know it's a nice summer afternoon. We're in our backyard. It's a Sunday evening, uh, and you're together with your friends, your immediate family. You know, just having a good time, eating some burgers off the grill, catching up on what's going on, the family gossip, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just having a nice intimate time with people you love and you care about. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, someone walks through the backyard door into your backyard, grabs a burger off the grill, enters into your little circle of conversation, and as if that weren't enough, opens up a bag, pulls out a vacuum cleaner, and tries to sell it to everybody <laughs> there. You know, the first question I ask people is, if this were a true story, how would that make you feel? Right. And the, the, the obvious answer that most people say is angry, irate, upset, pissed off, you know, anything in that kind of genre of feeling. Um, and then I, the next question I ask is why? Why do you feel that way? And first, you know, they say, well, person was uninvited. Well, sure. Uh, secondly, this was not the time nor the place. Uh, and thirdly, the, I, like even if you did want uh, – well, the idea is like even if you did want a vacuum cleaner, they try to sell you something in a, here and you probably didn't need it. But even if you did need a vacuum cleaner, this was probably not the time nor the place to do that. The case in point is we need to see Facebook similar to the backyard barbecue. Most people go onto Facebook to quote unquote digitally hang out with friends to like get caught up to see what's going on in people's lives that they care about, you know, that sort of thing. Potentially also to bitch about politics, but to bitch about politics. Unfortunately, <laughs> Facebook has become a platform where that is more common. Although, uh, interestingly enough, uh, speaking of that, you can't actually mention anything political. You can't even comment with a political term, and Facebook will just cut out your comment now because they've moved oh, really? so, so far away from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is great. Um, <laughs> And so what, you know, in, in relation to the story, what most business owners do are, are like the billboard ads. It's the equivalent of the guy who walks in and says, hey, I don't know you. You don't know me. Give me some of your, your hamburger and buy my vacuum cleaner. Right. That is what we cannot do, right? So the realization here is understanding that Facebook at its core is not an advertising or a commerce-driven platform. It is a social platform. Nobody wakes up in the morning, credit card in hand, logging onto Facebook, asking, <laughs> what can I buy today? Yeah. Now, that is true of Amazon. Sure, when you log onto Amazon, you start searching for products. It is not- There's only one reason to be there. Yeah. Exactly. It's to buy. It's a commerce-driven platform. The people who are on that platform have commercial intent. It is completely natural for uh, someone to try to sell you something there, and that wouldn't be frowned upon. But on Facebook, it's the total opposite. So the idea, like the fundamental premise, and that's why I call the my book Give, the fundamental premise on Facebook is not – when I use the word advertising, most people think like a billboard. It's a direct sale. Hey, here's what I'm selling. Come buy it. The fundamental premise I have about Facebook and why I called my book Give is that Facebook should not – be a place where you try to sell anything. Facebook is a place where you can go out and interact with your ideal prospect and give them or provide them something of value in advance in order to start a quote-unquote digital conversation so that when they are ready to interact with you and you've provided enough value to them, they will go ahead and make that next step. And so foundationally, before we get into tactics, I would say that there's two golden rules of advertising on Facebook. Uh, golden rule number one, and hence the title of my book, you must give before you ask. See, most advertising is asking. It's saying, hey, come into my office or hey, come buy my thing or hey, you know, it, it's it's requiring the person on the other end to give something of theirs. I believe, uh, especially on Facebook, that your job is to give, is to be a value provider, a goodwill service person to your industry in order to start conversations. Rule number two, every step of your market marketing process should be valuable in and of itself. So what I mean by that is most people's advertising is to try to create a transaction. I'm going to suggest that most of your advertising or your marketing should be designed to give value so that if that person chooses to transact with you or not, they are still walking away from that experience with you having said, I've gotten some value out of that. And the benefit of that is you become way more referable. And when they are ready to transact with you, they remember you as the giver, not the taker, which makes for a much easier transaction. So that's kind of like the fundamental foundational approach that I think people need to have when they're going to use Facebook as an advertising platform. That sounds a lot like the inbound marketing strategy, which is that same idea. Like 
people aren't ready to shop for a lawyer at all times, right? When they're on Facebook, they're not lawyer shopping, they're engaging with friends. Right. If you can intersect with their social media activity, with their Facebook activity at a time when there is a thing that you can identify that they would find valuable and you give it to them, you've created a fundamentally different relationship with that person. Absolutely, and I think that's where, where people have to realize is that, I mean, everyone is on a, a different buyer's journey. Everyone could be closer and or farther away. As my good friend Dean Jackson says, everybody, there's only two times in which people are, are, are operating in, now and not now. For <laughs> the people who are in the now time, like, yeah, they're ready, they're gonna take the next step, they'll pick up the phone, they'll give you a call, they're coming to the office, you know, they'll have the consultation. For the not now people, it's just a matter of providing value to them until they're not now becomes now. And then they pick up the phone, they come into the office and they have the consultation. Yeah, very much. So, okay. So before you start running an ad campaign on Facebook, you've talked about giving. And I, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that there is a preliminary step to advertising on Facebook and we need to take a sponsor break. So uh, in about three minutes, we're going to come back and talk about that. We'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, dedicated to helping you grow your practice one happy color at a time. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby's live virtual receptionists work in tandem with their innovative technology to answer your calls live with your custom greeting, transfer calls through to you when and where you want, collect new client intake and messages, make follow-up calls, and more. Delighting your callers in English and Spanish just like an in-house receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They integrate with Clio, Rocket Matter, and Lexicata, as well as the contacts and calendar on your cell phone to easily integrate into your workflow. Ruby can host your local phone number or provide you with one, giving you the opportunity to make dual use of your phone. Call clients using your office or personal number as you please via the Ruby mobile app. For over 15 years, thousands of attorneys have been turning rings into relationships with Ruby receptionists. To learn more, call 844-715-7829 or visit callruby.com slash lawyerist2018. If you're not 100% happy with your law practice right now, chances are you want more. More income from your practice, more fulfillment from your work, and more freedom to enjoy your life. There is a new law business model that is allowing passionate attorneys to reclaim their lives and love practicing law again. Alexis Neely has been training lawyers for over a decade on the new law business model she created to build her own million dollar law practice. And now, the lawyers she has trained in that new law business model have their own high six- and seven-figure law practices, all without sacrificing time with their families and only working with clients they love to serve. It is possible to experience the exhilaration of a thriving law practice, do the most meaningful legal work, have a real impact in your clients' lives, and have complete control over your schedule. Discover this new law business model now by watching the free video workshop series at newlawbusinessmodel.com lawyerist. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those who use traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can easily accept client payments online, via email, or in person. No equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com lawyerist to sign up and get your first three months free. Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 48 state bars. LawPay. Okay, we're back. So Nick, when you talk about advertising on Facebook, it sounds like um, first we need to be giving people something. Um, and so just maybe briefly, because we've talked about this on other podcasts, but what does that lead conversion, that landing page, whatever need to look like on the non-Facebook end of things? Yeah. Well, do you mind if I kind of like reverse engineer this even a step further to decide yeah, what please. goes on that page? Yeah. So, I mean, here's how I would see it. I, I, I would want, you know, we have a four-step process. Um, we call it the four M's. And one of the first M's is, is market, right? So this is identifying, I know, and I get it. And I talk to business owners all the time. And, and I'm sure lawyers are all the same. When you have a service that you deliver that you're very good at, the perception is we can help everybody within a certain scope. And I get that. And, and, and you know, I feel like I could help everybody with the advertising services that we provide as well. However, if you are, quote unquote, all things to all people, especially on a busy platform like Facebook, here's like a writer downer that people should remember. Generic is the key to failure on Facebook. Specific is the key to success. 
And so what I mean by that is let's kind of re rewind this and look at the market, for example. So let's say uh, you're a lawyer that uh, a personal injury lawyer, uh, for example. Um, let's say you are obviously looking to help people who have gotten in some sort of an accident or something like that, and you can help them that way. Now that's good, but I want to see if there's a way to make it even better. And what I mean by that is how can you narrow in on your specific avatar, if you will, so much so that you want to be a big fish in a very small pond. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a big fish in one small pond. You could be a big fish in multiple small ponds, but I want to get very clear about what that pond looks like for you. We're not just talking about, hey, anybody who's injured. I want you to be thinking about, like, if you look back at your client roster, number one, who were the clients that paid you the most? Who were the clients that were the easiest to work with, that you love to work with? And and who are the clients that gave you the least amount of hassle, you know, to your office? Um, you take those things and you just do a little bit of a deep dive analysis on who those people are. And I think you get really close to identifying who are the actual people you want to go after. And so this you know, is your ideal client avatar, your ideal client profile. And you can have more than one of them. You can run Absolutely. different ad campaigns, right? With different profiles. Yeah. Now, what we just want to do is we want to identify what these client profiles are, because when we start running our communications on on Facebook. And when we start to give something like a lead magnet away and we start to communicate with our language on our landing pages, again, generic is the enemy to success. And so if we're just like, hey, we're a great lawyer and we can help anybody who's being hurt and yada, 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 and talk all about ourselves, like that's one thing. But if a person lands on that, you know exactly who the person you are speaking to. You know their fears, frustrations, wants, and aspirations, which I believe are the four motivators of, uh, of anyone taking any action. A fear a frustration, a want, or an aspiration. If you could be very clear on that so that all of your communication speaks specifically to, and I call these people your 4%. And the reason I say that is because Pareto's principle is 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, I want you to take that a step further. And what is the 20% of the 20%? So if you had to cut your 20% ideal prospect down and find the 20% in there, then we've got the 96-4 rule. And I want to refer to your 4% as that 4%. These are your ideal prospects that you're going to now communicate to. You're I think more specific about who you're actually trying to reach. Exactly. Exactly. Um, because this is now going to influence everything. This is going to influence the copy in your ads. This is going to influence the things that you give away to start those conversations. This will, uh, uh, on the back end, actually also increase and influence your conversion rate of people enrolling into your service. Um, it's by being very, very clear about this. So that that's where we start. It's being very clear about the fears, frustrations, wants, and aspirations about your 4%. Mm -hmm. Now, once we've done that, the next question is, what are, in fact, some of the main concerns, problems, questions that are being asked from that 4%? And I don't, I don't just mean like, what do you assume are those questions? What are they actually asking? Because this will now form the basis of what we give them via a Facebook ad. Now, I'm going to suggest taking one step ahead here um, that what we're going to give them is going to be uh, some sort of a downloadable PDF type information package. And we can dive deep into, you know, what makes up a good one. But if you know clearly that your 4% is communicating that we have questions about this, we have questions about this, we have a problem with this, and we're looking for a solution about this, that makes your job that much easier. Because rather than thinking about, hey, what can I give to my marketplace to start a conversation with? They're already communicating to you. And all you have to do is give them the exact thing that they are asking for. And not only do you look like a hero, but the lead generation process becomes that much easier. So if the first M was market, it's under, understanding your 4%. The second one then is a magnet. Now we call it a magnet because this is the something that you throw out into the marketplace that you're going to offer in exchange for starting a conversation. Maybe they give you their name and their email, and that's how you start that conversation. But ideally, the second M is a magnet. It's it's what is, and I'm going to suggest, there's many things you can give. I'm going to suggest that in all the tests that we have run, in all the industries that we have run those tests in, that typically an actionable one to two page PDF guide or a resource or a blueprint or a checklist is the most ideal form of content that you can give someone in exchange of a name and an email address to start a conversation with them. That's also what we found like with our with our advertisers on their email giveaways, for example, 
a plain old, uh, you know, a PDF of some kind, uh, a valuable one that people can actually use to solve a problem that they're having is as good or better than webinars, than landing pages, than just about anything else. Yeah. And, and I think there's a reason for that. I mean, well, I think we, we, there are two, you know, currencies that we transact in, in today's world. Uh, one is time and one is money. Uh, we would argue that time is more valuable than money. And so oftentimes when people say, Hey, why don't you just come in for like a free seminar or a consult or a webinar? Like those are mm -hmm. not bad. Bad, but that's a, a pretty big ask to ask for somebody who doesn't know you 60 or 90 minutes of their time um, is a pretty big ask that most people would say no to right off the bat. Um, so there's got to be a way that you can offer something before asking for that much time that's going to, and as you've already alluded to this, Sam, uh, uh, results in advance, right? How can you give them something that they can either actually get or conceptually get a result in advance for them to be like, wow, this person helped me before I even met them. Like I've gotten closer to right. my overall goal. And the moment you can help someone get closer to their overall goal, their next question will be, well, that was great. Thank you. What's next? which is like the most ideal question that you can hear from your prospect. So we would suggest that the thing that you would give, and it doesn't have to be one thing, it could be multiple things, but the, the, the things that you would give is like a one to two page, quick, easy, actionable, short, applicable, downloadable PDF that's going to get that person's questions answered or get that person's problems solved, not fully solved, but at least one step closer towards that goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So we've got market, we've got magnet. What else? Okay, so the third thing then is the message, right? So once we have this magnet, and, and now we can kind of refer to this landing page that we're referring to. We've identified our 4%. We've identified a couple of things, magnets, that we can give our 4% in exchange for a name and an email address to start this conversation. Now, the third thing is the message. And the message is, what do we say to these people? Now, the message you know, technically covers our ad copy. The message technically covers the copy on our landing pages and maybe our follow-up emails. But for the sake of this conversation, like our front facing message, let's just call it the ad. Let's say it's time to sit down and write the ad. What I like to say is that there's kind of like a three phase framework that if you just keep in the back of your mind, it's going to make your quote unquote ad writing so much easier. And this is, this is the framework. It's look, hook, and took. So first, look. Everybody knows if you're on your mobile phone or you're on your desktop or your laptop or whatever platform you use to engage on Facebook, you're most likely scrolling at light speed. And you're just – you're not reading everything that passes by. You're looking for something that's going to catch your attention and you're going to read through it and figure out if that's something you want to engage with. So no matter how good your ad copy is, no matter how profound of a great offer you have, if you can't first capture the attention of your 4% – then you're going to totally miss them. So how do we do that? I believe the creative, i.e. the image or the video, and let's just say image for the sake of this conversation, because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want people to get caught up in thinking, oh my God, I got to record video now and what a mess. <laughs> let's just, let's just say an image, right? We need that image to stand out and capture the attention of our ideal 4%. Now I'll give you kind of, maybe are we talking about tips. dancing aliens here? Yeah, sure, if, if that works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and yeah, well, man, geez, you'd be surprised at what some advertisers do to capture attention, right? There's good attention and there's bad attention. Right. We're going <laughs> to suggest that you want good attention, like of the ideal prospect who then is like on brand with you and, and definitely ready to transact with you. Actually, that's a uh, good point. I mean, the good attention versus bad attention, like putting a picture of a dancing baby grabs attention, but it doesn't actually like, it, it doesn't speak to your target right. ideal client profile that you've created. Yeah, which is a great point because when I do say grab attention, some people are thinking like, what's the oddest thing that I can do that creates a pattern interrupt? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not what we are talking about. I mean, you could, in fact, and I saw a Facebook advertiser do this to promote his his training. He literally just put a bunch of girls in bikinis and then the headline was like, want to see the results of my recent Facebook remarketing campaign. And sure enough. Which the, is great if you're trying to reach like adolescent boys. And who don't care about your damn Facebook right. retargeting campaign. <laughs> but here, here's the funny thing. Like, uh, lo and behold, the first comment in the uh, in the ad was, no, but I'd want more pictures of these girls. Right. right? So just, just totally mismatch there. Yeah. So we do want good <laughs> attention. But how do we get good attention? I think there's uh, – well, there's a bunch of ways to do that. But let's say for this conversation, let's give you two, two practical takeaways. Number one, I would say simply by 
changing the composition of the image. And there's two ways you could do that, but let's just let's just give the easiest one. Let's say you have an image that, you know, relates and it's good and it would capture the attention of your ideal prospect. If you just drop that in like Photoshop or any photo type editor and just bump the contrast by let's say 20 or 30% and you now use that image. We have found that again, if someone's scrolling through their newsfeed and they see image after image after image after image, and then all of a sudden they see an image that pops just a little harder and a little stronger, it's enough to capture the attention, have them stop and be like, well, what's this? Gotcha. Enough for them to read the copy and see if it's something that they want to interact with. Hmm. So something as simple as changing the composition of the image to have it stand out in the newsfeed is good enough to capture the attention. Hmm. The second thing I would say, and we all know this to be true, is that, I mean, when we ask people, why do you transact with somebody? Is it based on logic or emotion? Everyone knows that emotion is the first indicator and is then justified by logic. But yet, when you look at most of the images on the Facebook newsfeed from advertisers, that is, they're picking very like logic-based images. And I can imagine uh, there's probably a couple of lawyers who ran some ads that have like some boring lawyer image of sitting in an office or in a courtroom or whatever. Mm -hmm. We know that that's that's not going to motivate anybody to want to do anything. <laughs> I think some lawyers do think that gavels and scales of justice in courtrooms <laughs> are actually the right thing. Um, but I'm with you there. That's boring shit. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, even if I was looking for a lawyer and if all I saw was a, an image of a gavel or, or scales or something, I'm moving on. I'm telling you, like, that person does not know how to communicate <laughs> to me. So the, the opposite is then is this. I, I like to approach my image selection from the perspective of how can I pick an image that tells a story and provokes a certain emotion? Now, this is, uh, frankly, easier said than done. Um, but if you think about, like, think about metaphor or think about what is the end result? Or what is the frustration that the person's currently going through? And how can you select an image? In fact, one of the kind of protocols, if you will, that I use is if I had to select an image because Facebook would not allow me to use words in my ads, what image would I select that would tell the story and create the same desire that I'm trying to create with my words? Like that's a really good benchmark to be able to think about this. Because again, people are provoked by emotion. They take action based on how they feel, not what they think. So if you can have an image that stands out in the newsfeed with you know, different composition and an image that is really speaking to that person. Now, let's say you're an injury lawyer. Yeah, you could go extreme with this. I wouldn't go that far as putting like a car accident in the, in the image, but maybe in the background there's a car accident and there's a person on the phone really frustrated, like not mm -hmm. knowing what to do next. Like that could be, because someone could see that and man, like, man, I relate to that. I, I totally get that. I don't want to be in that situation or I have been in that situation. I need to get out of it. So I just want people to start thinking about like, what is the emotion that you want provoked or evoked? And how can you select an image then that kind of speaks to that feeling of that person uh, to get them to relate? And again, the, the primary function of the creative of the image here is nothing more than to capture the attention of your right prospect, the good attention of your right prospect to get them to start to read your copy. Yeah, this is all you're trying to get them, lead them down, like notice a thing, see that there is a thing there that might be interesting and then read the text that is attached to it. It's that's makes a lot of sense. It's very mechanical. Right. And and knowing that like people are more driven by the image before the copy, right? We have to put the emphasis mm -hmm. on the image first and then on the copy. So first is look, capture the attention. Secondly, and we'll move through this a little quicker if you like, is hook. And hook for me stands for create connection. So what I mean by that is oftentimes, again, advertisers forget that they're on a social platform. And because they forget they're on a social platform, they get like right into selling. They're like, oh, okay, come get my magnet. It's so important. <laughs> what they don't realize is like oftentimes people just want to, in fact, I don't know who said this, so I can't give credit where credit's due, but I heard someone smart once say that a good message is not when your ideal prospect understands you. A good message is when your ideal prospect feels understood by you. Mm-hmm. It's a subtle difference, but as soon as someone feels like, hey, this this lawyer is not just trying to sell me something, this lawyer knows exactly what I'm going through, they're much more likely to transact or engage with you on any level. So one of the ways we do that is ensuring that there's a couple lines in our ad copy that build rapport. How do we do that? I think through a very simple sequence called feel, felt, found. 
And in short, you don't, you actually use those words, but the idea is when you're writing a sentence or two about building rapport, it follows the principle of, hey, I know how you feel. I have felt the same way too until I have found blank. So maybe for the lawyer, again, let's just use a personal injury lawyer for the sake of this conversation. Uh, the personal injury lawyer says, uh, maybe the, it started with like, hey, found yourself in, a, in an accident or whatever it be, let's call it an accident. Found yourself in an accident. Look, uh, I know how you feel. I, I remember when my mother or my friend or myself or one of our clients, whatever you want to use there, called us really worried about what to do next. You know, the car just being rear-ended, blah, 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 blah. They felt pain here. They just weren't, uh, you know, sure about what the next steps were, that kind of thing. So essentially, I know how you feel. I have felt the same way too, because I or someone that's close to me or my mother or a client or whatever has gone through this thing and then found until we have found that there's a really easy way to navigate this process. And that's why we've put together our post-accident checklist, right? Whatever. Let's say that that's the thing you're giving away of the seven things you need to know and should have in place to avoid you, whatever, not getting claims uh, to avoid you, you know, losing your car in the pro whatever it be. Right. So mm -hmm. the idea here in short for hook is create that connection so that when you do offer this lead magnet, your downloadable PDF, that's a checklist or a guide or a resource list or whatever, that that person's already like, this person gets me. I totally get that. This is this magnet is an obvious solution to the current situation I'm in. I'm in. You don't have to convince me any further. And you're trying to avoid the impression that you've showed up at a backyard barbecue set pushing vacuum cleaners. Exactly. Instead, you're, saying, <laughs> you're hey. trying to show up as a helper. Exactly. And, and that's I mean, I think that's the main takeaway here is when you show up as the giver, as someone who's providing value in advance, all of a sudden, you know, everyone knows that we transact with people we know, like and trust. All of a sudden you start to build those qualities and people start to know you and they start to like you and they start to trust you. And again, it's just realizing that there is a process in place right rather than, hey, I'm a lawyer, come use my services. So then what's the took part? Oh, so the took is just a simple call to action, right? Most people don't realize that maybe that person has seen your ad, they don't know what to do next. So you need to be very clear in your ad, hey, click here to download the blank. You know, right. and, I, and yeah. I, I learned this the hard way because once we had early on in, in our time, we started running ads offering lead magnets, of course. And one of the first comments we got in one of these ads was, hey, I'd love it. How do I get it? And I, uh, I assumed like, uh, you would know to, to just click the ad, like click anywhere. The internet yeah. means clicking on things. Yeah. Yeah. And I like just click anywhere. You don't even have to click a certain button. You can click anywhere. Uh, but I forgot that not everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when you can provide direct instruction on what to do next, you get them to take the action, the desired action that you want them to take by reinforcing it with a call to action. Uh, that's going to allow people to take those next steps with you and go to where you need them to go. Hmm. All right. So what's the fourth M we've got, we've covered the market, the magnet, the message, and what's the fourth one? Yeah. So the, the last one would be, uh, either I can, I, I call it mechanism or movement. And here is now having the pieces in place in order for this thing to flow really well. Uh, so let's talk again, maybe about the landing pages or what is the thing that you're giving them? So in my perfect world, here's how I would suggest everybody see this to have a process that really works. So let's say we're talking to lawyers here. And I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that most lawyers' initial action would be, would it be to get someone on the phone with them or would it be to get someone to come into their office to talk about services? I think most lawyers as they exist today are probably not thinking in terms of like, downloads and lead captures and workflows, but are more thinking about picking up the phone or getting a contact form filled out on their website. Okay. So some sort of a contact form that then what yeah. just has, it's like some, one of their staff follow up with them to book an appointment of sorts. Exactly. The, the goal, okay. the goal is usually to qualify that, that potential client first, and then if possible, get them into the office to talk about their case and have that initial consult and hopefully sign a retainer. Perfect. Perfect. So that, that's great. So here's what the movement, quote unquote, or the mechanism would look like for the person that we just described here. A, uh, you know who your 4% are. And so you have a lead magnet, let's say, um, that's going to address one of the specific issues or questions or solutions that your ideal 4% are looking for. Now, the movement is this. You have a Facebook ad, just like we described, that has look, hook, took, that sends that person to a landing page to say, hey, I want to give you this thing for free. Just give me your name and your email address and tell me where to send it. 
Once that person fills out their name and their email address on where to send it, then on the following page, we traditionally call that a thank you page in our industry. Mm -hmm. On the thank you page, we are going to make what I call a GFO or a godfather offer. Hmm. Why is it a godfather offer? Because it's an offer they can't refuse, right? (laughs) That doesn't involve horse heads or guns. I assume. Sure. Right. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Especially if you're a lawyer. But the idea here is, okay, now you have this ideal prospect who is uh, most definitely showed indicators of interest in what it is that you do because they've read the ad, they've clicked on the ad, they've gone to the landing page, they've looked at the landing page that's offering them this lead magnet. They've given you now personal information, their name and their email address. So they are forward momentum movers who are definitely interested in what you have to offer here. So the next stage then is on this thank you page. I would have a video of sorts that basically, and you would want to package up your offer, which in this case, let's call it like a a consultation, right? We would want to package that in such a way where it seems less like a sales experience and more like a value add experience. And so what we do then on this thank you page is we have a video that essentially, and I have a whole video formula and I know we don't have the time to go into that right now, but essentially it's saying, Hey, thanks for getting that, you know, the lead magnet thing. We're assuming that if you needed that you are in a situation where you need blank. And then essentially what you're doing here is you're making them an offer that they can't refuse quote unquote to come in for the consultation or to fill out a form in order for someone to follow up with them. But the caveat here is most people when they hear, Oh, free consultation or whatever, what they're really hearing is, Oh, sales conversation. Right. Yeah. This person is going to try to get me to come in and sell me their lawyer services. And I'm not really sure I want to do that or commit to that right away. So let me just kind of think about this. So instead, can we position this call quote unquote as more of a value add, which then can potentially lead to a sales conversation versus leading right to a sales conversation. So if I was, um, let's say I was a personal injury attorney, uh, my lead magnet was like the seven things you need to, the seven pieces documents or the seven things you need to have in place after a car accident to ensure that you don't get blank sued or lose your house or whatever. Then on the thank you page, I might say, Hey, I'm Nicholas Kuzmich Esquire, right? Is that, that's mm-hmm. what you say about a lawyer, right? <laughs> it is, it's bad form to say that about yourself, but many do. Oh, is it? Yes. Okay. Okay. So don't say that, but I would say that cause I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but Hey, I'm Nicholas Kuzmich, you know, Esquire. Thank you so much uh, for downloading that cheat sheet or that, that resource guide. I'm assuming you might be in a, a compromising situation and I can understand how frustrating this is and how confusing it might be. So what we have done is gone ahead and set aside an hour of our time to have one of our uh, senior consultants or whatever you call them, spend some time with you actually walking through this checklist and ensuring you have a plan of action in place so that you are fully prepared for what's about to happen. Look, this is uh, no cost, no obligation. Typically our lawyers bill out at $350 an hour, but because you're in this tough situation, uh, we'd like to gift this to you free. I don't know if you do free consults, but let's say we do, right? This is now especially in personal injury. Definitely. (laughs) <laughs> okay. So, so now it's making this like a, a godfather offer. Hey, we want to offer this consultation to you absolutely free. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over the checklist. We're going to build a plan for you to ensure that you have it in place. And then at the end of that conversation, if you feel like you can execute that plan on your own, fantastic. We're glad that we could have helped. And if you feel like you need our help, then maybe we can talk about how we might be able to help you this way. At least you have a plan and you can walk away with something. And by the way, for those of you who book this consultation in the next week or so, we're going to also provide blank you know, like a a kit or whatever, whatever you can kind of give away. Again, we're looking for a Godfather offer here. And usually a Godfather offer to me. Give value at every step. Give value at every step. And that can look like in the form of a discount. So let's say it's really lawyers or your, your, your fees are billed out at 350 or $400 an hour. Um, but you're now giving that for free because of the situation. So that's a discount. Secondly is what we call a stacked bonus. So meaning normally when people come in, not only do they pay the $350, but that's all they get. But for you, you're also going to get, you know, let's say this plan or guide or book or resource or whatever that's going to help them in this journey. And then thirdly, if you can, I don't know the legal ramifications around this in the, in the lawyer's services field, but if you can, a risk reversal guarantee. And so one thing that we used to do for agency clients is, Hey, look, same sort of thing. Uh, I know we just met, let's spend uh, an hour on the phone going through your, you know, your ads account. We'll build out a plan for you that you can execute. And if you feel like you need our help at the end of that, we'll talk about how we can help you. And I tell you what, if at the end of the hour, you felt like it was a complete waste of your time, you just let us know. And we'll also cut you a check for a hundred bucks because we don't want to waste your time. And we want to 
ensure that every transaction you have with us is a valuable one. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that as a lawyer, but the idea is if you can build and give value at every step of the way, and you can somehow work in a discount, a stacked bonus, and a potential risk reversal guarantee, the number of consults that you will get on that page will exponentially go up because you're removing the risk, you're providing value and trusting that you have a good quote unquote enrollment or closing process in place without being too aggressive and allowing that person to feel like they're getting value. Um, all of a sudden we have now literally just built a blueprint by which you could use Facebook ads to start getting clients tomorrow without complicated funnels, without complicated webinars, without complicated anything. It's literally an ad to a lead manager on the thank you page of that lead magnet, you're addressing the need of the person, you're giving them an invitation based on a godfather offer to take that next step with you. And there will be a percentage of people who will simply say yes, come into your office, and then you take it from there. And I, I just want to say I, I can feel some resistance from the audience, just because I, I feel like I know lawyers who want to object to specific things. And I want to make sure to pull out the larger concept here, which is like, so maybe Nick hasn't stated perfectly an example um, that feels like it applies to you if you're a personal injury lawyer or you're not you can't think about how this would apply to you the estate planning lawyer but here's the deal like if if you can't think of a way to provide value at these two or three steps that's that's really all that Nick's outlined here is two or three steps if you can't think of a way to provide value to your potential clients at those stages then you don't understand your ideal clients problems well enough mm-hmm. and th- and it's time to go back to the drawing board and try and understand what are the problems that they have from before their legal problem arises through the time that they begin to solve it with the help of a lawyer? And once you understand um, their concerns, their worries, the steps that they take to try to solve their problem on their own, the steps that they go through to try and get someone to help them solve it, the, the things they look up online, the people they talk to, all the, when you understand those well enough, you will start to get ideas for how you can provide value at these three specific points that Nick's identified. And the idea of offering sort of a money back guarantee I love or a time back guarantee or whatever, the way to test that is to try it a few times and go ahead at like a hundred bucks is a lot of money, but it's also not a lot of money, right? Like it's try it 10 times, uh, give away, you know, put a thousand dollars at risk and just say, I'm willing to lose this to find out if it fundamentally changes my ability to convert people who land on this page to paying clients right. or to great contingent fee cases. It's worth a thousand dollars to run that experiment. So give it a shot and see what happens and then turn it off after that and evaluate, did it work? Did it raise your return on investment? And if it did, then it's cheap money. Yeah, so. and, and here's what I'll say about this, because we've done this multiple, multiple times in many, many different fashions. And what we have found is, A, the vast, vast, vast majority, we're talking 99.9% of the people uh, will never take you up on that. No, they're not going to ask for it, because that's a jerk move. <laughs> well, yeah, unless, unless, of course, you totally took advantage of the situation right. and you didn't provide the value and, and that happened. But the number of people who say yes to you to, come in for a consult that would not have because they felt like you've alleviated the risk for them exponentially goes up. Right. So even if there was a percentage of people who asked for a refund, the percentage of people who come into your office go up exponentially. But again, fortunately, we have found most people never even do that. Um, so all, I, I all you have to do is do approach. what you said you were going to do. Exactly. And then they won't exactly. ask for the money. <laughs> right. Right. So I can understand how there's like a potential perception of risk here, but I just want you to completely, uh, the, the, the fundamental premise of all things, Facebook advertising, we've alluded to this many, many times now in this conversation is literally put yourself in the position of being a value provider every step of the way. If there's one thing that I have can take away from the entire experience of advertising on Facebook and spending millions and millions and millions and millions of month doing so, it is he who can give the most value to their marketplace, to their ideal 4%, is he who wins. You can have fancy persuasive copy, you can have a flashy website, you can have a beautiful business card, you can have all of that. But at the end of the day, if you're playing on social, he who can provide the most value every step of the way is he who is going to win. And that's fundamentally true. And then how you add the tactics or the strategy on top of that, of course, 
I, I laid out a strategy for you that we found work in every industry, mm-hmm. but, but just remember that as kind of a fundamental foundational piece to the whole game. Very cool. I think that's a nice place to end our conversation about Facebook ads. But at the very beginning, I punted on uh, asking you about the council, which sounds very mysterious. So uh, maybe you could tell us what that is real quick. <laughs> yeah. So, so in short, I mean, my basic premise around this is look, um, information is good, but access is better. Uh, there's a ton of people out there where you could buy a program or a course or something that's going to teach you how to, you know, run Facebook ads better. And that's all fine and dandy. But I find most people who buy courses don't take the courses and then they sit on your shelf or on your hard drive, never to be opened. Instead, uh, I wanted to give people an opportunity to get direct access to me and other industry leaders through a community called, oh, that that, that I call the council. Mm-hmm. And really it's, it's a bunch of, uh, uh, business owners, service providers, uh, everything from dentists, doctors, and lawyers, all the way through to people who sell chocolate, to people who sell wine, to people who sell digital services, online services, all sorts. And it's really an opportunity where daily I go in there, I answer the questions via video every single day. Uh, we have coaching calls, we have tech implementation calls, and it's literally everything you need in one community to be able to, if you're serious about using digital advertising as a means to grow and scale your business, it's everything you need in one spot where the emphasis is on access to people and resources versus just information. And that's, uh, again, that's something that we call the council. Cool. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, you can find a link to Nick's book, Give, in the show notes, and we'll have an actual download in there for people as well. So, Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast and walking us through Facebook ads. I really appreciate that. Uh, again, the download is going to encompass a lot of things we've talked about, right? The, it is, the ad, the Facebook ad template with your formula for doing it well. It is, absolutely. Cool. So in the spirit of giving value at every stage, check that out. Link in the show notes. Nick, thanks so much. Oh, hey, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.